Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington. I'm Samba Bachili. Nina Vaca, Chief Executive Officer of Pinnacle Group. An original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. CEO of ADS Group. The largest Latina-owned workforce solutions in America. I first identified myself as an entrepreneur when I was 15 years old. My mother and father immigrated here with a suitcase and a dream. I had a front row seat to entrepreneurship. I am living proof of what is possible in this country. Today, the marketplace is, is very tough. The challenge for African market today is its access to capital. The number one reason why we can't scale as entrepreneurs is access to capital. What makes Globe so different and so powerful is the access to experts, gurus, mentors, coaches, financiers, venture people, money. When I started my business, I immediately went to engage with different communities, different platforms. Glow makes that experience digital. A digital platform makes it so much faster and so much easier for you to meet like-minded people. The financial pl platform that Glow have that make Glow unique. Glow is about commerce, Glow is about community, and Glow is about having access to capital. Glow is an asset to every entrepreneur in this country and globally. It's, it's about helping you take your business, your idea, to the next step. Hi there, and welcome to Business Acceleration 2.0. It's the show where leaders go to grow. My name is Michelle Lemons-Pacenti, and I'm thrilled that you could be here with us today. Today, our guest is Mr. Jay Steinfeld. Jay is going to be sharing the content of his new books, Lead from the Core. But before we go there, I want to cover just a few housekeeping items. Number one, we want to make sure if you're watching us on social media, that you are sure to like and subscribe to us. And that way you'll be notified of all of our upcoming events. Two, if you are in a city, Dallas, Fort Worth, Minneapolis, We've got chapters located all across North America, and we would love for you to join GLOW, the Global Leaders Organization, and become a member if you're a young entrepreneur looking to grow your business, or even if you're an older seasoned entrepreneur looking to grow your business. We would love you to come on board with GLOW. We wanted to highlight our sponsor for the day, which is the Business Finishing School. Business Finishing School is an online program that allows you as an entrepreneur or business leader, take your business and scale that business to where it becomes a business that somebody might wanna buy. It's all about learning what you need to do in order to grow, build the business so that you could have investors come, maybe wanna invest or actually even wanna buy your business. And even if you don't wanna buy, sell your business, how great would it be someone coming to offer to buy your business? And we're gonna be talking about that a little bit more with our guest, Jay Steinfeld. Lastly, we've got our event that we're happening that's happening on March the 6th, Saturday, March the 6th, which is a virtual event. Yes, I know we've talked about having a live event, but we've moved to it becoming so that it is virtual so that you could attend wherever you are. I know there were a lot of concerns with COVID. So for this particular event, we're going virtual and we'd love for you to join us. We've got Vince Pacenti that will be speaking, Dre Redford that will be speaking, Rick Sapio. Um, Kevin Harrington. So we've got some great guests that will be on board with us for the virtual event. It'll be all day on Saturday. The cost to do it is $67. If you're a premium member, it's free. So if you're a premium member of the Global Leaders Organization, you get to tune for free. Otherwise, it's $67 for the day. Hope that you can join us. Um, we look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to our guest today, Jay Steinfeld. 
He is the author of the book, Lead from the Core. Fabulous book. I read it. It was great read, just chock full of great content. So Jay is the founder of a company called Blinds.com that he started from scratch, $3,000, less than $3,000, and ended up selling his business to Home Depot. So we're going to hear about his journey, how he got started, um, and how he ended up creating a company that someone wanted to buy, like Home Depot. So we're going to hear all about it and that transition that he made from owner, entrepreneur, to an employee of a Fortune 500 company. So without further ado, let me ask Mr. Jay Steinfeld to come on. Hi, Jay. Michelle, hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you for being here with us. I really appreciate it. We've got lots of entrepreneurs that are uh, sitting back watching this and to give them, can you give them just a little bit of background about how you got started and um, where you came from? Just so if they don't know you and they haven't bought the book, Lead from the Core, um, they can learn a little bit more about you right now. Sure, happy to. Uh, I'm a CPA that hates accounting uh, for two reasons. One, I just don't like it. It's counting other people's money. And two, I got fired from an accounting job. So what's that the probably doesn't that? make for a very good accountant. No. So what I, what I ended up doing is going into business with my wife, a little uh, blinds mom and pop store. I was the pop. My wife was the mom. And we were a shop at home decorators. I'm a CPA, so I'm perfectly qualified to sell draperies and blinds, of course. So we went to people's homes, helped them decide what to do. That was 19, well, that was 1987. In 1993, I read something about the information superhighway, the World Wide Web, and thought, I wonder what that is. I wonder what email is. Broadband wasn't there, no Google, no Amazon even. But it was a little experiment, decided to see if I could... Uh, just maybe get a few more leads for prospects for the business. Really just a marketing experiment. No vision as to what the internet would be. No vision as to what I could be. And then all of a sudden, there's a company, Amazon, in 1994 that launches and selling books online and thought, what a harebrained idea it would be to sell blinds. I'll have customers measure it, install it themselves. They can't see it. They can't touch it. They can't see colors. But... And they, by the way, they didn't even like using their credit cards at the time because they didn't know you could buy things online. But we said, why not? And we did. And we did become the world's number one online retailer of blinds. And wow. that was 19, it was 2001 when decided to full time go online. And then 13 years later in 2014, we were doing so well, kicking Amazon's butt, keeping kicking Lowe's, all the blinds retailers. Uh, Home Depot bought us. And I stayed on at Home Depot for seven years until just May of uh, 2020 on the online leadership team while I was still running blinds.com. And now I am not retired, but rewired giving back, which is why I'm here now. That's awesome. And you definitely give back in your book, which is fantastic. I mean, it, like I said, it's chock full of so much great content. I wanted to start with the core values because we talk a lot about core values within this particular program and inside of GLOW. Um, it, I believe it's such a fundamental 
part of really understanding who you are and becoming the leader that you need to be and, and desire to be. But I know that you've got some ideas around establishing your core values and, and actually can share some where leaders make mistakes on core values. So can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, first, when I started, remember, I'm a CPA or was a CPA. Core values meant nothing to me. It was pure BS, all soft, squishy ideals created by the HR department, put on a pluck up on the wall and never to be thought of again. So what did that mean? Unfortunately, remember in 2001, when I went online full time, the next year in 2002, specifically August 12th, 2002, my wife, Naomi, after being married for almost 26 years, passed away from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I had to make a decision, do I continue? And if I do, how? How can I maintain any optimism? How do I define success? How do I define happiness? How do I raise my three kids? So uh, that's when I started thinking, I better figure that out. What makes me tick? So the core values that we established were four. Well, at the time there were two, and over time we have evolved even our own core values. There's essentially four, the four E's, because they all start with E. One is evolve, evolve continuously. Well, that's pretty obvious. You've got to continue to get better. All your processes need to get better. Your customer experience needs to be better. But it's also about you helping other people get better because the, the, the express purpose of our company was not to be the best in the world at selling blinds, although we were. The purpose was to help people become better than they ever believed possible. It sounds corny, but that was our purpose. Really, that's your purpose as a leader, to help people become better than they ever believed possible. And we did that through the, core, the four E's. One, evolve continuously. And when you do that, when everybody is not just pushed to get better, but required to get better, it was mandatory that you spoke up and that you, you made sure that you were responsible for your own success and everyone else's success, you had almost autonomous excellence where things were getting better all the time with very little input from you as the leader, because that's just what was happening. Were you, were you providing educational content for them to grow? Ab absolutely. You, it just mm -hmm. doesn't happen, but uh, I'll get to that in, in a second because that okay. has to do with generosity and investing in people. Gotcha. I'll, okay. I'll the other three, then we can come back to that because that's a great question. I would love to, to answer that one. So the second is in order to get better, how do you do that? Well, you do it by taking chances, experimenting, experimenting without fear of failure. Those go hand in hand so that when you want to get better, you take little chances. Now, for me, I'd never bet the ship. I'm risk averse. I don't like taking big chances. You think, well, wait a minute. You're an entrepreneur. You take big chances, right? No, I take chances to make big wins but with low downside risk. That's how you experiment without fear. When the downside risk is so little that there really is nothing to fear. It's not about being brave. 
It's not about being courageous or having this resilience that entrepreneurs are supposed to have. It's about understanding from your head that there really isn't much to fear. Okay, mm -hmm. so the next thing is express. Express yourself. In order to determine what you should experiment with and where you need to improve, you need people to speak up, especially when they disagree. So we want people to speak up and that's where you get to express. So now you can see how all three of these work together. And the fourth one, the best one, is to enjoy the ride. Now, enjoy the ride, yes, free food, celebration, foosball, all those types of things, parties. But for us, enjoying the ride meant doing things that people said we were never going to be able to do, like sell blinds online, be the number one leader selling blinds online. That's cool. That's fun. And by building ourselves and helping everybody else get better, that is also fun. So enjoying the ride is working really hard to do things that people said you could never do. And that's how, those are our four core values. And that's how, we were able to, that's how we were able to beat Home Depot and Lowe's and, and Amazon because we never, ever stopped. And we were able to attract great people who wanted to be like that, who wanted to be in an organization where they could become better than they ever believed possible. And they stayed because they never got, they never, uh, got stagnant. They were always growing. They were becoming better people as a result of being in the company. So when you have an organization like that, you can now get to your other question. When you know people are going to stay, our turnover rate was only 8%. Wow. Then you can invest in people. You don't have to think, well, they're only going to be here another year or they're going to be going someplace else. So I probably shouldn't, I can't afford to invest in them. But if you know they're going to be with you a long time, then it is incumbent upon you to invest in them, give them the resources they need to be better. And when they feel that you really want them to be better, they will be better. Because if you want people to do something of significance, you have to make people actually be significant and be consequential by providing them not just with adequate compensation. It's not about giving money. It's about giving respect. And when you give respect and you invest in people, it's not, not even about resources. It's about being generous with how you hear them, how you listen, how you ask questions like, what do you want to do in five years? Is it even with us? It's respectful and it's generous when you say to them, okay, I know you want to leave us in, in a few years and you want to start your own company or you want to uh, maybe uh, just do something at a bigger company. Be with us. I will help you get there. And you'll be surprised. They'll stay much longer than they even thought they would. It's counterintuitive. When people right. are free to tell you and speak up, express yourself to what they really want, you can help them get there and they can help you get to where the company needs to be. It's really just common sense. It's about right. bringing humanity back into the workplace. So I'm very curious. We, we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, determining what their core values are. Those four E's, when you sat down, how did you determine? I mean, there's, you, you could have said, you know, 
um, the bottom line was important, or you could have said health was important, or there's so many different places you could have gone. How did you determine what your, your four fundamental principles, core values were? Yeah, this is actually the mistake that most people do when they're looking at core values and do not do this. Do not read a book or do not listen to me and say, well, those were his core values. They work for him. Those must be mine. Your core values are your DNA. It's not what you want to be. It's not what you aspire to be. It's when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? What is your behavior when you wake up? Those are your core values. So through introspection and by asking other people, this is what I believe our core values are, what my core values are. Does that sound right? And people would say, no, Jay, that's not right. You are really not like that. You're more like this. And over time, really years, I have honed that and refined it to get clearer and clearer as to even changing the word from improve continuously to evolve continuously. And it wasn't just because I could get another E out of it. It was because evolving is more visceral. It's about changing throughout the day. Evolving is a constant process. Improve might be, I've taken a course and now I'm better. Evolving is a continuous uh, right. journey. Okay, your four E's were relevant when you created your company and we're really looking to understand what your core values were. But it seems like it's even more relevant in today's world with people working from home, um, et cetera. You want to talk about that a little bit with me? Sure. Why are people leaving? Because they're not being respected. The kinds of things that I'm talking about are just basic common sense to leadership and running a company. It just gets uh, exacerbated in today's environment where people can leave much easier because they can work from home. They can find jobs across the, the world and still work where they are. So now they've got, the, the door is not locked anymore. They don't have the handcuffs. They have the freedom to travel. Your job is to make it so they don't even wanna think about leaving. So if you have core values that work for you, like respect and generosity and doing the types of things that we were just talking about, why would they leave? If they're being adequately paid, why would somebody be looking elsewhere when they're growing? The two things that people don't want is stagnation and they don't like their boss. Those are the two reasons why people generally leave. Well, I can't do anything about me being their boss, but I can do something about them not being stagnant. And if you want people to do uh, the greatest work, well, if they're doing it at home, awesome. We had. 20, 30% of our workforce working at home before the pandemic. 10, 12 years ago, we had people working from home because it just was better for them. Now, they were highly accountable. So their metric, it was a privilege to work at home. If their metrics were slipping once they went home, they'd have to come back into the office. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, work wherever you want. It was your numbers are have to be at a certain level and if they slip you got to come in and get maybe retrained or reacclimated to the culture whatever be coached a little bit more intensely we had a lot of coaches that that would help people mentors so i think it's really respect 
clarity of communication. When you're talking about generosity, generosity means also having a clear articulated vision. We've heard about this, but are you really being generous with how you're describing what that future is and what part they have in that future? That's a form of generosity by being very clear and spending time of yours to make sure they know how they fit in to a very compelling bigger future. And if you're not communicating that bigger future, then what's keeping them there? What is the thrill? What is that carrot? What is the ability to do that consequential significant thing? So these are the types of things that will keep people by just thinking about and caring about and respecting people with generosity. I love that generosity as a leader. Um, okay, so many of our viewers, our members, are young entrepreneurs just maybe starting out their business or starting to see their business model working. Um, what I know that, and you're the ultimate entrepreneur and you've started more than one business and you consult and are on many boards. What do you see are some areas that they could avoid um, it, some mistakes that maybe other entrepreneurs have made so that they could, they would avoid failure? Well, uh, certainly having enough money helps, but I had virtually no money. I started with $3,000 and that was it. So that was, of course, that was back in the day. <laughs> I don't know that I could <laughs> do that right now. I'd say the biggest thing that a uh, an entrepreneur needs to do is keep their overhead, their personal overhead low so that they don't have the pressure to have to take money from the business because, boy, it is tough at the beginning. And if you've got this big pressure and if you're if you've got a significant other or a family that puts another burden on it, which makes it harder, then you're asking yourself, boy, do I really want to do this or should I just get a real job? So keeping your overhead is, is absolutely important. The second thing is a more of a mindset. Don't believe that you ever know enough. You never know enough. And when you go into something, if you think you know exactly who your customer is and exactly how you're going to go to market and what your uh, acquisition strategy is and what your cost of, ca of uh, uh, capital is going to be, you don't. You never have enough information. But here's the best part. Knowing that you never have enough information is enough because that at least gets you to start and then you're not surprised by the fact that you don't have enough information. And if you go in and tell everybody, guys, we don't have every answer. I don't have every answer. We're gonna figure it out together. We're going to evolve and we're going to experiment fast. We're gonna make rapid experiments and we're never gonna bet the ship, but we're gonna really watch this and see what our customers are telling us and what you were telling us and not just to get buy-in because you really wanna hear from them because they're the ones talking to customers. They're the ones talking to, they're on the front lines. Who better to give you information than the people actually doing the work? It's not right. you. So that's the key is deal with ambiguity, expect it, relish in it, and then hire people also who also like being in a non-linear situation which is actually hard to do because people like to be told what to do. They like to have sure. clear 
definition as to what is done. When a startup in a young company, you don't really know what is the right priority. And you have to kind of figure that out as you go. So no, it's not going to be clear, but be clear that that is okay. Good advice. Okay. What about scaling? Um, I know you've got some strategies on scaling up from just a startup. Uh, well, I think the first thing you need to do is figure out how decisions are going to be made. And I, I guess you really need to go back to the clear and compelling vision. Everybody needs to know where you're going. That's number one, because that's going to remove a lot of the misalignment that you get as you're trying to scale. If everybody knows very clearly that destination, then even if you don't tell people what to do or how you're going to get there, and you never know how you're exactly you're going to get there, they'll figure out ways to get there faster than you can. So clear, clear vision, know the ambiguity, then figure out what are your priorities and focus just on two or three. That was something that I never actually was good at. In fact, our whole company was never good at that. We would, at the beginning of every year, when we were looking at our, our projects, would come up with, oh, I don't know, 10 or 12, and they all seemed reasonable. And then we realized that at the end of the year, we did three of them, and we didn't even get to some of them, or we started some partially. That's a bad, bad idea. Focus on two or three things at a time. Don't even put them on the list. Just say, okay, everything from this line down, we're not even going to talk about. And then when we finish one, add another one and just keep adding them to the list as you finish the first. Right. I think that's really important. And maybe the last thing is that you have to figure out how you're going to be making decisions. Do you have a partner or a co-founder? If you do, how are the two or three of you going to be making decisions? Is it unanimous? Is it two out of three? What is it? Be absolutely clear or you're going to be misaligned. And then if, you, if you're if you your own founder and you have a team, how what part is the team going to play in, a, in determining what your priorities are? So you have to decide how you're going to decide. Until you've done that, you're going to be going back and forth and nobody's going to really know what to do. And you'll never be able to scale that way. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Um... Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about different businesses I've been in where I've made some of those mistakes, not having a clear understanding on leadership, how you make decisions when you had partners. That's great advice. Okay, so many of our members and people that are viewing are out there in the right now in the trenches raising capital. And you have a way of communicating with investors. What are they? Well, in, investors, like potential investors versus potential. Your existing investors? I think both. I think that it'd be great to hear on, you know, if they're out there looking to raise capital. And then also, if you currently do have investors, how you need to be handling the communication. Right. Uh, when, when we were, when we grew, we started with just a few bucks and a few mm -hmm. people. Eventually, in 2012, now remember, this is 11 years after we started that we took our first round and only round of institutional capital hmm. and it wasn't that much but when i went out for the first time for the first seven funds that we talked to i got skunked nothing 
And I'm talking to my CMO because he and I were the ones doing all the pitches. So what are we doing wrong? The business is growing great. We're profitable. Is it us? And I realized it was us. <laughs> we it was us. We weren't telling the story in a compelling way. What you need to do to a, to a potential investor is to not just show how well you're doing. And you've got to be growing. You've got to have some defensibility. You've got to have a good team. You know that. But the main thing we were missing was we didn't tell a big enough story. Once we realized that we were not just a blinds retailer, because that really, we were never just a blinds retailer. We wanted to take our platform and, and then um, leverage it into other hard to buy complex configurable products like custom decks, custom uh, doors, custom sofas, custom sprinkler systems, custom tables and chairs. We wanted to be the best in the world at selling complex customizable products. It wasn't until we mentioned that and led with that, that people got interested and the next seven funds all gave us term sheets. So that was a big lesson for us that you have to tell a big story and believe it. And we did believe it. As far and as what I'm was just, that? I was curious. So the, the bigger, the, the bigger vision was really going out and looking at mastering other similar industries, but not the same as blinds. Did you guys end up doing that within blinds.com or within well, that, the that's, that's a, that's an interesting question because uh, we were going to do it in 2008 but that's when the economy tanked. Yeah. So we said, no, let's not yeah. do this now. Let's just focus on blinds, which was a really good move. Mm -hmm. But then okay, we sell the Home Depot in 2014. Wow, we have suppliers now. We have customers of all the projects that we ever wanted to do. Because back when we were just blinds.com, we thought, well, we don't know anything about these other products. We're gonna have to buy a company. And that was going to be hard to buy a company, find somebody who wants to build it into something uh, who will last, who will stay, who will have the right, and we can buy it at the right price. Home Depot had merchants, supply chain, customers, website. They were experts in all these product categories. So all of a sudden, we were able to take our platform and integrate it into the Home Depot platform and sell custom decks, custom vanities, custom right. countertops, all these things. And that's why I left. Because after seven years with Home Depot, we were finally the best in the world at selling complex configurable products. And at Home Depot, doing over a billion dollars. Wow. That was, I had done everything I ever wanted to do. And I had my successor and the core values were there. And I knew what my next gig was going to be. And look, it had been 30 years. It was time. So do you think creating that bigger vision was the ultimate reason and strategy as to how you attracted Home Depot or others? Because we've got entrepreneurs that have businesses that they would like to sell as well. What did you do with your business to attract, you know, your type of buyer um, and maximize your company so they would want to buy you? Okay. Uh, the easy answer is we were kicking their butt. We were number one. <laughs> So they wanted some of that and they were far from that. And they realized if they wanted to get up to speed, 
they needed to buy us. It was a classic make or buy situation. We also had the technology so that they didn't have to build it themselves. And they had started trying. And of course, this small little nimble company with a few million dollars did it where they were spending a lot more and hadn't gotten anywhere close to even beginning coding it. So having some a secret sauce, this technology was, was great and our numbers spoke for themselves, but they didn't think that we would ever sell. When they came for the first time, they looked around and they went, Jay loves this company. The team loves his company. He'll never sell. That's what they told us later. And of course I was going to sell if they just made the price the right, right amount. And they did. So uh, if you want to really, if you really want to get the maximum amount, then one, don't think you have to sell it. Don't put yourself in a situation where you must sell. Grow. Be fine with your business. Love your business. Love where you're going. They'll feel that. And they'll say, I'm going to have to pry that away from them. And look, if, you're, if the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you've got this great thriving business that's making a lot of money, nothing wrong with that. Right. And that's, what we, that's the way we went into the whole negotiation. We knew our business was growing. We didn't even think we were near where we needed to be before we were going to sell. We didn't seek them out. They, they sought us out. And it was a great position to be here. Yeah. Lowe's had also come to us right before they did. So there was a little battle going on and Bed Bath had, had started making overtures to us. So before nobody had ever heard of us, I'd go to like my friend's house and they'd say, so what do you do? You do what? You sell <laughs> blinds? Those things you mean like in my windows? Is that what you do? Do you have any employees? Do you I have an office? Yeah, I've been doing like $150 million and I've got 500 people. They're shocked. <laughs> so have a business that you love, that you don't need to sell. Be growing. The profitability isn't really even as, as important as the fact that you've got something growing. And then have a big story as to where it needs to be. Good advice. Okay. So let's talk about you. I mean, you went from entrepreneur owning your own business to becoming an employee. How was that transition um, of going in and started working for another organization? Well, it was a little scary, mm -hmm. but in reality, when I was when I was about to leave, and I talked to the uh, the CFO at the time, who went on to become CEO of UPS, I asked her, so what did you think when you first bought us? How long, how long did you think I was going to stay? And this is in my book, Lead from the Core. She said, Jay, we thought you were going to hate us and leave after 90 days. Wow. So uh, why didn't that happen? Well, it happened because I had a chance to build the company and do the things that I've always wanted to do. But in the meantime, how did I, how did I cope with turning over the keys? and having no technical authority over any decision was because we were able to maintain our autonomy and our core values. We were able to keep the culture that made us what we are. And I give a lot of credit to Home Depot for allowing us to maintain that culture and that autonomy. But when you think about it, when you go all the way back to the beginning, when I started taking in outside money, 
not institutional, just friends and family, I was already starting to give up control. And there was a time where I had no effective control anymore. The board could have could have gotten rid of me like a, when I was a CPA. And I was always afraid of that. But from a uh, technical person uh, perspective, I, I wasn't in control, but practically I was. So as long as you are growing the company, as long as you're building the company and building yourself, you may not have the technical control, but you can have practical control. And because I already had given up control, I was, and I had a board, I had a legitimate board. So one of the other things you can do when you're getting ready to sell is to have a real board that's advising you. I mean, in, with independent uh, directors who have certain uh, skills that you don't have. And when you have a legitimate board and you have, we had Ernst & Young as our CPA, we had Silicon Valley Bank as our banker. We were positioning ourselves to potentially go public at one point. We had audited financial statements. We had been auditing our financial statements, but we had given up all this so that once we went into Home Depot, I was already used to not being in control. But now I had these superpowers that I never had by myself. We had all the, the we had 450,000 employees that Home Depot had that we never had before. It was like, it was like we were Tony Stark and Home Depot was Jarvis in the suit, and together we were Iron Man. Oh, I like that analogy. That's great. <laughs> okay, so if you over the career, over the whole span of the business, if you were to look back and go, "Wow, I, I wish I had done that one thing differently," what would it be? What would it have been? That's an easy one. I wish I had spent more time with my family, especially after Naomi died, because I just rushed into work. It was something I could control. And that took a long time to reconcile for my children and for me. And we have finally, but I wish I had not rushed into work and I'd given more time to my children at the time. Good mm, sage advice there. So, okay. Now that's on the personal, that's life, right? So when you were first starting your business, if you were to look back at Jay, when you were just starting, what advice would you give him about the business? Huh. I'd say I was a micromanager and I wanted to control everything. And I found out the less control and the, I had over people, the more they could control their own destiny, the more they did. So delegation and providing clarity of vision. If I had done that earlier, if I had trusted people earlier, it would have taken off much faster because it wasn't until I realized that the evolution was not just about myself, but about helping others evolve. And once I realized that to be my prime role as a leader, to develop other leaders and help them become the best they could be, that's when the business took off. I wish I had done that earlier. Oh, interesting. Okay. You've got a question with your when you with your media kit that I love. So I wanted to ask you this question and it has to do with diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, so with, tell me what you think about that, about diversity, inclusion and equity. Well, the the third core value of express yourself means everybody express yourself. 
and we want diverse opinions. So the only way you get diverse opinions is to hire diverse people. We truly never cared about anything about a person's background, except we didn't, we just wanted people who wanted to evolve, who already had within them the propensity and the behaviors to evolve and that were open to change and to experiment and would speak their mind. So that's, that's really what we want in diversity is diversity of opinion, diversity of respect, diversity of perspective, so that when we're making decisions, we can come at it from every single angle and that people will say, Jay, no, I don't think that's a great idea. And here's why. That's great. And it's, when people do that, what is your what do you do when somebody disagrees with you? Well, let me ask you this. Does anybody ever disagree with you, especially right. in a meeting in public? Most don't because they're yeah. afraid to speak up. They're trained not to disagree with their boss. They're told, make my make your leader look good. Well, you'll make me look better if I don't make mistakes and you tell me the truth. I'm not afraid of hearing the truth. I wanna be the best I can be. I want everybody. So by withholding good information, you're actually lying. So we need diverse people who will speak their, their minds and not say the things that they believe you want them to be. And that requires diversification. Mm -hmm. And I think it's equitable when everybody's got a, a, a voice. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's a, that's a wonderful way for us to wrap because I think it's a, um, you can tell from the way you speak, the words you, you've carefully chosen, Jay, that are in your book. You are an individual who is a caring individual and cares about their, your employees, the people around you, your family. Um, and it comes through, it comes through, it comes through in your book as well. So I want to remind everyone, where can they, where can they pick up your book, Lead from the Core? Well, all bookstores, Amazon, all the usual places. If you, you can go on my website and get discounts on bulk sales and connect with me on, on LinkedIn. You'll hear more pearls of wisdom from time to time. Well, we love it. I want to say thank you very much for being with us today. It was a pleasure to have you here and an honor as well. So thank, thank you, you so much. And we look forward to seeing you down the road. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Thanks, Jay. For all of you that are still, still tuned in, remember next week we've got Simon Mainwaring. He'll be here next week speaking with us. Um, and then go check out the Global Leaders Organization. See about becoming a member, building your own community of like-minded peers, entrepreneurs to surround yourself with. Until next week, stay safe and God bless. Bye-bye.